We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Scintillating Arsenal performance smites the Orcs and leaves them dangling above the fires of Mount Doom. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Those damned Orcs are going into the fire where they belong. Just a a whisker away from relegation where we shall never have to see them or hear from them again, except when there's some story in the newspaper about inbreeding and the problems it produces in society. But other than that, we will never have to hear from them again, hear their ugly songs about Aaron Ramsey walking with a limp or... Uh, see any of their Cuntish players or their Cuntish fans or just the general cuntiness about them will be gone forever from our lives. And that is a good thing. Um, another good thing is that we have a full house today. We have the entire panel. We have uh, everyone bar Scott, and I wish Scott could be here, uh, but he can't for reasons that have nothing to do with Scott and everything to do with me. Uh, but Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Paul's on Twitter at Paws in My Pants. Hello, Paws. Hello. We're, go- we're going to do that? Is that a thing we're going to do? Uh, maybe we never we'll agreed to that <laughs> and clive's on twitter at clive pafc hello clive hello 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 indeed clive uh we will look forward to getting your thoughts on aaron ramsey later in the podcast but let's start with you tim just really quickly so the world's smartest journalist i will not name him because i don't want to upset or offend anybody or uh lead any of you to feel that you are being roped into abusing a journalist uh, i am perfectly <laughs> content to do so uh expressed his outrage that people would stay away from this match, this scintillating, uh, basically preseason-friendly style match uh, <laughs> on the cherished Easter holiday. So I'm curious to get your just quick take on what the mm. 
what the crowd looked like, if you want to put crowd in air quotes, what the crowd looked like at the Emirates and your perspective on people's right uh, to stay away from the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very sparse and that contributed to quite an eerie atmosphere at times, particularly in the first half where you've got, <clears throat> as you say, a game that doesn't really mean a great deal in the great scheme of things. Lots of people have decided to stay away and then you get the kind of the, the fare we were served in the first half. It all contributes to a very eerie atmosphere. There's not a lot of intensity. You know, it saps the occasion, as it were, of a lot of its intensity. Um, and for kind of 30 minutes or so, I mean, the game was played pretty much in silence until, um, you know, a couple of moves that kind of broke down and we had to pass back to David Espina, which kind of woke people up because it annoyed them. <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and and so you know they got a bit a bit shirty, and and that's that's really never far below the surface at the Emirates nowadays. That kind of um, I feel like I feel like that's the reason a lot of people still go. Actually, um, you know, not everyone, but there's there's a small section who I think go to exercise themselves of their negativity, um, and that's that's kind of what they get out of it. Um, but as in, you know, for as for people's right um, to stay away, of course, of course, they have absolutely every right if they've paid. Um, they've they've got absolutely every right not to go if they don't want to. Um, it's it's a fairly striking form of protest because it cannot escape um, the notice of the manager, or indeed the players, or even some of the members of the board. Whether it gets the owners' attention, I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm sure that the CEO would probably feed that back to him. Um, but so, so, yeah, people have every right to do that if they want. I, I kind of think it's a shame, not least because, um, you know, I think English football fans from across teams are doing a really good case for building, uh, building a really good case for things like reduced ticket prices and, um, you know, safe standing and stuff like that. And if people are, are paying for tickets and not using them, that that doesn't really help build the case that tickets are too expensive. But you know, that's that's not everybody's fight, and they don't you know, have to get involved in that if they if they don't want to. So they've got every right. Um, and it's, it's difficult to know how else, really, especially in this day and age, that, that fans register their kind of dissatisfaction. And this is a natural culmination because last year what we had was just out and out disgruntlement um and you know i think the fans made a bit of a play to try and get rid of the manager um last year because they didn't see anyone stepping in to do that and once it kind of failed the, the kind of answer is to stay away really which is which is a real shame um and I, I don't think it's likely to change until the manager changes like like so many things about arsenal at the moment yeah and I mean, I, I think sometimes we presume intention where maybe no intention exists. And what I mean by that is mm. that you see a half-empty stadium and things aren't great at Arsenal and people want the manager out. And it's easy to impute from that a, a, a living form of protest, that these people mm. are staying away <clears throat> as a protest. And I think that's a mistake because at the end of the day, it's 6th versus 19th on Easter Sunday. And yeah, I think yeah. it can just as easily be a case of, I don't want to go. I don't want to go yeah, watch a partial. Yeah, I don't want to go. And by the way, apathy is arguably more dangerous than protest because protest yep. indicates deep feeling, and it's yeah. easier to get back people that care deeply. Apathy suggests a loss of connection, and a loss of connection can be much more um, enduring. Yeah, yeah. The, the the protest community, as it were, is is away games. That's where 
it you know it's very valuable because you've got all of those people who follow the club everywhere and are a bit more engaged i think people um i think a lot of people confuse let's say twitter with the emirates and actually i would argue that the the genome um for want of a better word of, of the emirates crowd probably most of them aren't even on twitter don't don't really engage with arsenal or football other than when they go to games they don't read about it they don't go on social media about it they're just it only exists in that two hours and then and actually a lot of them like you say it's it's just kind of meh it's a sunday do i really you know arsenal aren't really playing for anything at the moment do i really want to you know go and watch arsenal play stoke in a game that doesn't really mean anything and and, and i think you're right i think when it comes to the emirates it's not a kind of a protest atmosphere, um, as it were, but um, at, at away games, you, you get that quite a bit more. Yeah, and look, I mean, uh, go ahead, Paul. Uh, could I just quickly add? I prefer you didn't. Uh, I'm not an expert on this, Tim, but I think it's pronounced gnome. <laughs> uh, genome. Also, there is, there, is, yeah. there is an E in this word. Oh, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, um, at the end. Okay. Um, hang on, yeah. Elliot. Right. No, I'm not, I'm not done yet. Damn it. So I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should ignore the depressing effect of Jesus being dead on proceedings. Um, you, well, we've had 2,000 years to get over it. So, you know, I mean, wow. to be, to be wow. fair, we've only had a few wow. months to get over Arsenal being shit. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's the fresher wound. So, I mean, you take from it what you want. Anyway, enough of that. Look, I will say this. I think it is insane for a journalist who is paid to go to football um, who hasn't paid in years, and I realize at one time was probably a paying customer, so to speak, but who hasn't paid in years to tut-tut fans that stay away to spend Easter Sunday with their family or doing whatever they want instead of watching Arsenal play Stoke in a meaningless game. Like, I, that's just and ridiculous. Yeah, it's always, it's always happened as well. Just look at some of the attendance numbers in the 80s, for example, when things weren't, weren't going great. Attendances just drop off. That's just, you know... The idea that you have an obligation to be at the game is just insanity. If it's not enjoyable, don't go. This is not um, awake for you know the passing of a relative, although it feels like that at times. Um, th- this is Jesus not an obligation. Yeah, Dalius. We've covered that, Paul. We've covered that at all. Okay. Uh, so and, I and in say, fact, to be uh, fair, uh, on Easter uh, Sunday, maybe, isn't he risen? Isn't that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, come on. Who can say Come for on, sure? Elliot. Let's get right. real here. Um, no, but I got to say, to say it's a meaningless game, this was the Schadenfreude Derby. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of shade, yeah, we, shade and freud in this y- one. Yeah, we get to nail them in the coffin of their relegation. It was wonderful. You're breaking out the nail analogies. I mean, yeah. that's oh, a little, little heavy-handed, a <laughs> little on the nose there. I mean, look, <laughs> blasphemy aside, <laughs> let's get to um, let's get to the, the actual match. And, Paul, I think the, ah. the, the lineup was one that seemed to, I think, create some consternation. For me, I am a believer that we should be flushing the Premier League completely down the toilet until our Europa League campaign is done and preparing in whatever way is best to suit us to be ready for the Thursday night games. Now, you could argue that playing well and cohesively and with sharpness and vibrance and uh, winning games comfortably is the best way to prepare. But I thought the manager made some sensible choices here. So... Did you take the same perspective, or would you like to have seen him go full strength from the start? Um, well, I, he's, I didn't really understand the lineup from that kind of logic standpoint, but I didn't worry about it too much. I mean, he doesn't really have a lot of pressure on him to do anything right now, so he can basically do what he wants. So, you know, based on what we know and what we don't know, uh, I, 
it's one of those where I just assume he kind of took into account all the factors and and picked the best kind of compromise of of everything. I, I wasn't too exercised about it for for the reasons we all talked about, it, which was this was not the most significant game on the planet beyond the Schadenfreude Derby aspect. Um, and the other thing is, for those who say everybody should be rested or not rested, I think it depends on the players and who had international duty. I didn't really understand Chaka not playing. Uh, maybe he played two games over the international break, but I don't know. Um, uh, on the other hand, what you did see in this game, I mean, it took us forever to get going. This was like, was this our worst performance uh, of the season? It felt like it. we were just... I think it was our, it was our most... Um, it was our most staid or anodyne performance. I don't know that it was our worst because we've had games where we've yeah. fallen behind early. But in terms of yeah. a lack of really having any involvement in the match, any cohesion to the match, certainly it was up there. Yeah, and I think 16 days without playing for as a team and even players who play on international break, I mean, they're on the bench for a lot of the, they, you know, there's a lot of messing around. It's, it's kind of disruptive. Um, I mean, it's not a great excuse because we've played a lot better than this after international breaks. We've even played well after international breaks, but there's a lot of factors to to throw in there. Um, resting Kachelny, I guess he played the second game against France. That, that for France, I guess that made sense, you know. But but the, playing El Neni versus Chaka, uh, some people think to seem to think. Uh, El Nenny played well. For me, almost nobody played well. Not that I would, I'd hammer any in, individual in particular. Though I thought Ozil was like that was that was something special. His performance, um, although we earned just the first penalty, or did he? Um, we'll come to was that. it a penalty? I don't know. Um, so it, it was just the the selection was kind of like the game, the fixture, the day, the crowd. It was all just kind of like. Man. Lacking inspiration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, look, I, I want to, Clive. I want to give you the the freedom of the podcast here, but I'm just going to put a couple of restrictions on you. For the first half, <laughs> you can give me any answer you want for what went wrong the first half and why it was so bad. But here are the restrictions. I don't want you to refer to the international break or that the game didn't have stakes or I, I want to know specifically once the game kicked off and the players were on the pitch, aside from the fact that maybe they were feeling un, uninterested, uh, disconnected, maybe they were, you know, ha struggling to wake up for an early kickoff, whatever it was, what was going wrong? What wasn't working on the pitch that led to uh, such a sterile first half? That's a great question, right? It's exactly the one I've been thinking about. So, um, so yeah, bank holiday weekend over here, over here, and you get a chance to watch a lot of football. And so, what's what's City on on Saturday? And they are something I was really, <laughs> Yeah, and what do they do? They're they're incredibly direct. They they win races all over the pitch. They win races defensively. They win races offensively. They've They've got aggressive runners in wide areas. They hold their position and they play forward. I think the last game I went to live was AC Milan game. And it really struck me how we don't play directly. If there's a, if there's a forward pass on, it's got a little bit of risk. We go back to the centre half. It goes back out the other side. And, and it's just, it's just boring. 
right? So, um, and so, you know, with the miracle of stats on, right, I had a look at the top three pass combinations that City had on Saturday night. And it was Fernandinho to um, Silva, De Bruyne to Fernandinho, and Fernandinho to De Bruyne, right? Look at our top three pass combinations yesterday. Chambers to Mustafi, Chambers to Monreal, Mustafi to Chambers. So what's that tell you? <laughs> that tells you about the emphasis of our game. That tells you about where we play. That tells you how we lack bravery, we lack directness, we lack any form of devil. Right, So we're happy to trot out there in a home game, pass the ball around our back four, and f- try to fool forty to 50,000 people that we're a good side. And, the, and, and I'm not going to rush to judgment here, but I bet you if we look back in historically about our past combinations, our, our defenders would be there. And I looked at Liverpool's too, and Van Dijk is in all their top seven pass combinations but he's quite a progressive centre half that drives into space and pushes the ball forward right so to put a bit of balance there so it's not uncommon for that but I looked at City and think I know I, I can see where they play Vincent Company's now staying fit the reason he's staying fit he's not running around he's got good protection in front of him and the emphasis of the game is not on him to build it so he can save himself for defensive sprints and I just feel the emphasis of our game is too much in our half, too much in safe areas, and not where our talent is. And you can't fool the punters. We're looking at this, looking at our £60 million strike and thinking, you're not touching the ball. You're, we're looking at our midfielders, and they're getting dispossessed, making loose passes, and it's all down to intensity and approach and pattern of play. Our pattern of play is pretty boring right now. We lack aggressive runners in wide areas. We're relying, and if you've got a fullback that's going to be playing a big game on Thursday night, they're not going to overload massively and make 60-yard sprints to get in on the far corner because they're big games coming up, right? So I'm going to caveat what I'm saying by saying the effort, the extra zip, the extra intensity comes when you really care. And for the first half, we didn't care and we took the easy option. But that's not the first time that's happened. Our pattern of play has become pretty sterile. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think there's more more terribleness there that we can dig into. And I, I'm, I'm going to reach for a little of it. I mean, there's a few problems. First of all, are you familiar? You guys know about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? It's like yes. this huge floating gyre of, of mm. trash, a vortex of trash in the Pacific. Plastic. Yeah, so we have like the great midfield basin vortex, whatever you want to call it, a swath of empty pitch that is between whoever has the ball in our defensive third and where all the other players are. You watch it. When, when Chambers steps up with the ball to try to begin an attacking move, or Mustafi does, or Ramsey dropped deep, or Elneny dropped deep and received the ball, there is a 25-yard blank space in front of them that no one runs into. One of the things that strikes me when you watch City, wherever the ball goes, there's a central player that sprints to give them a second option. So they always have the option to go out wide, right, to a fullback or backwards to a defender. But there is a hard sprint to run into the space in the center of the pitch, advanced from that player, to give them a progressive passing option. And it seems like our whole attacking philosophy is... 
someone get it at the back and everyone just run up the pitch. And so the only out ball becomes the safe ball to your defensive partner or to the fullback. And there is no central progressive passing option. You know, I remember Sir Alex Ferguson's United teams. Sir well, Sir Alex. The, the great man. Yeah, Sir Alex. Um, fine. Fergie. Red nose. How about that? Is that better? Yeah. Does that make you happy? Yeah. Purple nose. Um, so that purple nose is twat, according to Paul, who managed United. The feature of their game is they always seem to be going forward. They were always attacking. They were always progressive. And there was always a progressive pass that was on for everyone in the pitch. And, you know, this is before all these advanced metrics and advanced Pep Guardiola tactics. But they still did it then. We give our players no progressive options, and it's easy to beat up on someone like Danny Welbeck, who admittedly had as close to a zero of a game as you can. But the problems for us start further back the pitch, and it, and it starts, and maybe it was a missing Shaka, maybe it was because you know El Nenny struggled to really influence the game, but we do not have those players that sprint into those spaces to give that extra progressive passing option. And as we progress the ball up the pitch, that space progresses with it, and there is a huge disconnect between the departments, the the defensive department or the deep midfield department and the attacking departments. Those those systems, those parts of the squad are not connecting properly. Now, Tim, one so, thing... Elliot, yeah. could I just say quickly to follow on from that... That's the overriding feeling I had at the end of this game was uh, is kind of the counterpoint or the the other side of the coin to your point versus what everybody else is doing. We're just missing the evil genius in midfield. Yes, the kind of the guy pulling the string strings, the the guy that everybody uses as a reference point, the guy who bollocks people who don't drop in from. Not only do we not have the evil genius, we don't even have the fucking cat. So we're but, just... But you know what, Paul, what I would say players. is absent that, and I'll turn it back to you for a second, Clive, but the absent that, Paul, what I would say, at a minimum, you could you could instruct your players that whenever El Nani sure. has or whenever Chambers sure. has, I want someone you, sprinting... You were really talking about the coaching. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. We, we don't have the, the player so, to... Yeah. to We don't have a player to... to um, imprint his authority to stamp his authority on this on the middle of the pitch but we also don't have the discipline to to occupy those spaces that give that progressive passing option clive why don't you finish up on this topic because tim i want to i want to ask about pressing yeah yeah i think it's what we do when we talk about our our team is we we always flip back to individuals but really it's it's how we play it's the pattern so you know, the next two top passers were Ramsey and Ozil. Decent players, you would say. Yeah, good passers. Who are they going to pass to? Where is the aggressive runners in wide areas? Where are those offensive people that make multiple sprints to move people around? They're, they're not there, right? So, so we end up passing to other passers. And that's the problem. We lack the aggression, the penetration, the devastation to really move people around. And when we had that, I'm sure you're coming to the second half, when we had someone else to help that and we had multiple runners, for the last 20 minutes, we looked like a football team again. Yeah. Right? So it, it's all about the style of play before the players that are playing within it. But I'm afraid we have some major pillars in this team that massively dictate how we play. And some of them are unbelievable favourite players. And I'm telling you, the way they play football is not where the future of the game is going. And I do believe we've got some major decisions to make. Yeah, and, and we've look, we, we can talk about personnel, and there's no denying, first of all, that when we made the changes, it totally changed the game for us. When you add quality, you're going to get better. I, I 
fully acknowledge that. But our spacing is and always has been poor. And Tim, one of the things that's a little distressing to me, and we'll come on to the second half and the improvements and the better part momentarily, okay? Because the last 20 minutes of the game were actually quite fun. But one of the things that was so astonishing to me is how effective Stoke were pressing us the first 30 or 40 minutes of this game, and not even in the most coordinated way to ever seen, just running at guys with the ball. And mm. it's such, it exploits our weaknesses so clearly. I mean, is, is that really right now the single biggest problem for Arsenal is that whether it's a combination of spacing or lack of technical quality in midfield, mm. that we cannot handle being pressed by even the 19th place team in the Premier League? Yeah, that is a big problem. Even when Cazorla was fit, it was an issue. Um, it tended to be an issue against the, the sides that were better at doing it. But you're right, it's an issue when anyone does it. I, I listened to, um, I can't remember which pod, it might have been the Watford one actually, which I wasn't on. And I listened uh, to you guys talking about El Nenny. And um, what really strikes me about El Nenny is normally he's he's really good in home games but not so good in away games and uh, and granite jack is very similar um and why is that that's because and why why is why is arsenal's form so different at home compared to what it is away from home well at home teams don't tend to press us that much they tend to sit point, off yeah. so that guys like Xhaka, um who i who i think we missed yesterday for all the reasons you've said about our build up play um, you know they give they give him time to you know pick the ball up off the centre back, do his you know two seventy turn and get the ball on his left foot and get the ball up the pitch. Um, he, he gets time to do that. El Nenny as well gets a little bit of time, a little bit of space to run into to give us a bit of rhythm. Um, I, and I thought El Nenny yesterday was far more. We saw far more from him what we usually see away from home, um, precisely because Stoke put us under a little bit of pressure. Um, as well and I also think um, given again the conversation you guys have just had and on the podcast put out last weekend about our wide players um, and the lack of threat we have from there I mean first of all name the genuine wide players in Arsenal squad Iwobi that's it I mean I don't oh, think yeah, I wouldn't a, call him a, a, a wide player <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, well yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I still think Iwobi is probably at best wide left but you know who who are we playing there um Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Wilshere, Wellbeck, Aubameyang I mean it's it's there's no genuine wide threat there at all which which you know we've lost Walcott we've lost Chamberlain we've even lost Alexis we've lost like guys who've got a bit of zip um you know in, in that area of the pitch and that's that's a very big problem and actually what we saw you know, the set of, there's a, a really good article I would I would encourage everyone to read that Anam from Arsenal Column put out today about Ozil, and uh, it's a, it's a really as you expect from Anam, it's it's very um, tactically astute. He talks about Ozil's movements in the game, and he basically says in the first half he was over on the right hand side and he was just marked out of it, whereas in the second half he moved more over to the left. And the second we take Welbeck off and Aubameyang goes out on the wing and I'm still not that keen on the idea of Aubameyang out wide. I mean, what happens? Ozil's moved over there anyway. And within two minutes, Ozil's put Aubameyang through on goal because we finally got a bit of an aggressive runner um, in behind. And Ozil's worked out that, that the left the, that the left-hand channel was where the space was and not over on the right. So, I mean, I think there were quite a lot of 
quite a lot of those issues and, and Anam talks a lot about how Wenger has basically given Ozil carte blanche to to kind of not so much in a negative way but to do what he wants to rely on Ozil's football brain to understand where the space is and to move into it and how this has actually had mixed success for us this season but it worked yesterday because Ozil moved over towards the left and, and that's where we started finding a little bit of space but um, yeah, I, I, to, to kind of spin it back to your original question, yes, I think our complete inability to handle the press is is very, very troubling. Um, and and now, you know, without Giroud, we don't even really have the direct option um, either. So it's it's all a bit of a, a hodgepodge, and and it's why I think we should go. We should go back to three at the back, I think, just because yep. the wing-backs are the only well natural... Said, we well and said, Sam. I think it also gets Lacazette and Aubameyang up front together. Yep. Um, I think you put Ozil, Ozil behind, have Lacazette in that... You have like a almost like a dotted line between your front three. So you've got Ozil in the number 10, you've got Lacazette in the nine and a half, you've got Aubameyang in the nine. Um, and that's how I'd set this team up and have Bellerin and Kolasinac, because who, who else is providing the width? Yeah, um, no one. Thank you. I, I cannot agree. I cannot agree anymore. I tell you. And in the second half, Tim, I don't know if you noticed when Lacazette came on, the combination between Bellerin and Lacazette just sliding yep. down the side. So you had you had a partnership on the left hand side of Erzul and Abamyang, a partnership yep. on the right hand side. That is the way we can get some aggressive running into our team without buying three wingers. That is the quickest way to get to get it sorted out. And I could not agree more. Yeah, and, and by the way, I mean, look, I think you can point to two things. Look, we don't have wide players, so we, we don't use width as effectively as we could, although I think we have good fullbacks, good attacking fullbacks, but we don't have wide forwards to support them. But even when it comes to playing through the middle, I mean, we should have enough technical quality and enough players who occupy those central spaces that we can play through the middle. The problem is our distances. You know, when we, when we start these attacking moves, there should be six or seven or eight-yard passes you can make to a teammate that's a progressive pass between the lines, but it's 20 and 25-yard passes. And so the only pass is out to the fullbacks. And meanwhile, there's a hilarious moment, and I don't remember the minute. I meant to re- write the minute down and reference it so people could go back and look. And I think it's, I think it's Mustafi who has the ball. He picks the ball up. He steps forward to start an attacking move. And Aaron Ramsey just sprints up the pitch to the edge of the 18-yard box, like like he's running a relay race or something. He's just gone. He's out. He runs all the way out of the picture till you can't see him anymore. And then he's covered up by a by a. He, he's like that guy, uh, back from the Vietnam War with PTSD. Time the phone for, for rings. Scum? He runs out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that of the room. Well, so, so but I mean, and it's just so. Then you have Elneny covered up by two midfielders, and the only place that that Mustafi has to wind up going with it is, I think he tries to make a tricky pass to Monreal, pinned it up against the the touchline, and and we lose possession. And so, you know, I think whether you want to play wide or whether you want to play central, you still have to get your spacing right. You still have to get your distances right, and you have to you have to create better easier progressive opportunities for your pass your your teammates to advance the ball off the pitch and we don't do that so l- l- and let me- i think just quickly given given that we're going to change who the coach is and that he kind of delegates that to his on-field geniuses and that's ozil uh from a midfield standpoint is going to be ozil and whoever's in midfield that's why until we get a midfield genius uh, who sits deeper who those work as an axis to kind of 
uh, uh, organize every everybody who comes in to play around them. Um, I think we're going to struggle, but with Arson in, in control until he gets that player, we're going to struggle. Yeah, I agree Elliot, with that, Clive. Say, yeah, please chime in. Do you understand Tim's point about the back three is really important, and I, I, I don't want to make sure people miss it, right? Because as we as we got some much bigger games against much better teams, potentially someone like Atletico Madrid to get us into the promised land. What do you think they're going to do to us? They're going to press us, right? So unless we have that exit plan in wide areas and a pattern of play which involves aggressive running in wide areas, we're going to get burned. Atletico Madrid will want us to play narrow. They will want us to come inside. Then they will spring on us. They will hit the forward directly and they will run us backwards, right? So we've really got to think about it. This isn't about Stoke. This is about Arsenal developing the quickest way to roam, a pattern of play that's going to take us to a big game win. Right? And I think it's really important we think about this. Uh, and uh, I just don't think people are. They're looking at ways to get just their favourites on, the two forwards on or whatever, which I want to see as well. But uh-huh. down to it, which I, I want to see two forwards on, without a doubt. But we can't do it in the Europa League, right? So, But I do want to see the emphasis of our play moving into wide areas and further forward and not amongst uh, our centre-backs, our five-foot-ten centre-backs stroking the ball to each other slowly, popped it into El Nelly, who gets it straight back to them. That's not football. No, and, and I, I agree with all of that. I just think that whatever formation you use, we've seen it in every formation, that the the, the parts of the team get disconnected from one another and that the, the linking up between the defence and the midfield and the forward line, I mean, it, it's not... It's just not spaced properly. It doesn't look like it's set up across the pitch the right way. And the way we use space is so bizarre because you'll have two or three Arsenal players standing within three yards of each other at some times, clogging up space. And then you'll have other times where we're trying to start to build play and there's a 20-yard gap in the center of the pitch, leaving us only the fullbacks or, or a backwards pass to go to. So something that, has to be done to change That's our deliberate accordion philosophy. The accordion philosophy, I, I think, Paul, we can agree that in 1986, uh, John Hammerschmatt wrote the the pivotal document showing that the accordion philosophy is no longer apt, so we can move on from that. Uh, Tim, uh, explain <laughs> you to me... You me there. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just feel that that's stare decisis now. Uh, so, Tim, explain for me what Danny Welbeck was doing on Sunday. Yeah, it it was kind of difficult to. I mean, I, I I'd heard some suggestion that he was carrying a bit of a knock um, on his back, which would make some sense because it's with, with Welbeck, you've always got the kind of well, he can't finish, but his movement's very good, or he's like he's good at striking up partnerships with other players. I I think the kind of the problem is Welbeck is um, he's a bit of a sponge, right? So. The reason he strikes up partnerships with good players is because he's quite, for want of a better word, subservient. He's good at spotting what other players' qualities are and going, right, I will adapt my game so that you can get the best out of yours, which um, makes makes him, you know, uh, which, which is why a lot of managers like him. Is It's probably why he's not a great striker, though. He doesn't have that ruthless kind of single-mindedness. I think the issue now is, well, we're a team with not that many goal scorers in it. And, you know, he's playing with Wilshere and Mkhitaryan and Ozil and players like this. And he he doesn't quite know how to play in a team like that where, you know, he's supposed to be one of the wide forwards. He's supposed to be one of the principal goal threats. He's not 
meant to really be a foil uh, for someone else anymore. And really, you know, what I was just saying about the complete lack of wide players, the complete lack of wide forwards, what Danny Welbeck should be doing now is looking at this squad and if, you know, presuming he's interested in a future at Arsenal, you know, he should be kind of saying to himself, well, look, we've got Aubameyang now, we've got Lacazette, Centre forward is all but closed off to me, um, other than the League Cup and when there's a bit of an injury crisis. Um, although if we end up play, if we do end up playing two up front, that actually might open the door to him a, a little bit more because then that moves him to first reserve. But the spot he should be looking at in the squad, he should be looking at Theo Walcott and going, right, Walcott's gone. Yep. That's the wide forward that scored all the goals. And, you know, maybe a bit like me, sometimes his feet didn't always talk to his brain. But, you know, Theo stayed at Arsenal for, for over a decade purely because, you know, he, he he had some threat and some end product from out wide. He didn't have a lot else. He was technically pretty subpar. Um, he put in some of the worst performances I've seen from an attacking Arsenal player. Yet he always had that devil, you know, he always had that um, that that goal in him. And that's what Danny Welbeck should be looking at. He should be looking at where are the gaps in the squad, wide forward, goal-scoring wide forward, someone who can beat players, someone who gives us that little bit of devil out wide. That's where I can make a contribution here because Arsenal are currently playing a load of central midfielders or number 10s in these positions. This is where my spot is. This is what's open to me in the squad. And uh, yesterday was a real opportunity. And I, I think he might have been played yesterday because... Um, I've got a feeling he's going to play in that or, well, maybe this audition might uh, talk the manager out of it. But I, I think he's thinking of playing Welbeck wide and Lacazette um, up front for the Europa League games precisely to give us um, a little bit of that, yeah. you know, that, shall we say, goal scoring threat in, invert, in, in inverted commas. But that, that's what Welbeck should be looking at. He should be saying that there is a spot open for a wide forward um, in this team and I can do that. And yeah, it, it wasn't terribly convincing yesterday. And, and again, like the second he came off, um, Aubameyang immediately within seconds of drifting over to that flank, finds space to run in behind. And mm -hmm. it just doesn't look like it just Welbeck wasn't making those runs. He's making those runs he makes when he plays centre forward where he comes to the ball. He comes towards the game. He doesn't want the game to go ahead of him. He wants to, he gets attracted. And, you know, what we really needed him to do yesterday was to stretch the pitch, um, you know, do some good running, um, occupy occupy some of Stoke's and halves. And, you know, particularly in the first half when Stoke were pressing quite high, they had a pretty high line. And, you know, they don't have particularly fast defenders, Stoke. I re and, and I think this is a criticism of Aubameyang for me as well in the first half. I, you know, from my perch where I sit in the upper tier, I was looking in the first 30 minutes and I was thinking, that I know they're pressing high, but honestly, one long ball could undo these um, because there's like 40 yards of green space in behind and we've got Aubameyang up front. But Aubameyang wasn't really quite playing on the shoulder or wasn't really, you know, looking to spin in behind and and neither was Welbeck and, and that kind of confused mm -hmm. me. But... Yeah, I, I I feel like yesterday was a big, big opportunity for Welbeck that he didn't really take. No, I, I thought he was really poor. But can I play devil's advocate just for a minute and sort Go of for it. throw a bunch of words salad out there and hope that it means something in the end? I think, you know, you can only have so many players whose impact of the game is off the ball. 
in one eleven. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you look yeah, at, yeah. at Manchester City, can you even name a player in their starting eleven that isn't good on the ball that can't be influential with the ball yeah, at their yeah. feet? I mean, so my, my my argument is simply that, and you mentioned Theo, and I think this is a good point. Theo had his best seasons playing with Robin Van Persie, who was very ball dominant, mm. who would play false nine, who would drop in, who could receive the ball, give the ball, then turn and run in behind. And, and that worked really well with them. But Aubameyang is different. Aubameyang is a player whose strengths really are off the ball. His elite running and his elite finishing. He's not great on the ball. He's not a great passer. He's not a great dribbler. So you have Aubameyang who's not going to get too involved in the buildup. Then you take Danny Welbeck, who again, his strengths are his running, the way he drags people into space, that chaos that he causes, that nuisance he becomes with his physicality and his running, but again, not great on the ball. And I just think that the worry is when you have an elite center forward whose best qualities are off the ball, and then you have a not-so-elite guy trying to play one of the linking forwards or wide, nominally wide forwards, but he's also not great on the ball, that now you struggle mm. to build the play and create those opportunities for your elite striker because yeah. you're really putting all of that responsibility on Ozil. I mean, Jack can do a little of that, but I, I think he struggled as well, and I don't think any of us believe that number 10 position is suiting him brilliantly. So I, I think mm. in terms of trying to control the game and build the play and get the ball into players who can spot those little darting runs – for Obama Yang, you need that extra ball playing forward, you know, yeah, and, um, and a ball dominant forward. I mean, Alexis was like the most ball dominant forward you can imagine. Danny Welbeck is the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, that's probably where we miss Mkhitaryan a bit because Mkhitaryan, you know, if you're playing a front three um, and you've got kind of Özil behind, this is one of the problems really of having nominally Özil um, as part of your front three. Um, but if you if you've got say. Uh, Abamyang up front, then you've got Mkhitaryan wide right, for example. He's more he's more that kind of creative on ball presence. And actually, I I was impressed with him when he came on mm-hmm. um, as well. And and that was also largely because we had nothing on the right hand side, and and he helped kind of fill that. And um, I, I've been actually quietly impressed with him. I, I think he's becoming um, a quite important member of that attack. But yeah. Um, but that that would have been a better balance, like Mkhitaryan, Abamyang, and then Welbeck. Yeah, then he's got he's perhaps got more kind of currency to be that off the ball running kind of threat. But when it's you know when it's Özil who's really just drifting about, and I, I don't think Welbeck probably understandably because he's only been at the club a little while, but hasn't quite worked Abamyang out yet. Um, and when when it's you know a front three of Welbeck. Bamiyang and then sort of Urza or sort of Wilshire. It's a bit. I mean, Welbeck's a, a guy who thrives in structure, right? And mm-hmm. um, I, I think Michael Cox tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago. He said actually he thought that Welbeck to Arsenal was a really poor move for this reason yeah. because Welbeck is a guy who's really good at working to plan and good at giving you structure. And Arsenal is one of the most structureless. Um, kind of elite teams in Europe, and and you know maybe that's that's just a problem we can't really shift. With with Welbeck, Tim, right, I feel you got to give him a job. You got to give yeah. him one job, right? Exactly. So if you think back to the cup final, he had one job. You are free forward. You are at the top of our team, and I want you to work their centre backs. I want you to make multiple runs. I don't care what you do because you've got two players smart behind you that will work from your space. That's a great job for him because he can do that all day. Sprint, 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 sprint. Cause trouble, fall over, doesn't matter. Ozil Sanchez sitting behind me, Ramsey joining in. Problem is that's Obamiang's job now, isn't it? 
<laughs> well, and he's a different player, right? So, so now you put him on the left, you're asking him to do certain jobs, more than one job. I think he struggled. Just to add a little bit, there was a, he did sort of get an injury quite early and it was as though he, he could have actually come off quite early, according to TV, but he seemed to run it off. So I'm wondering if he was actually fit at all during the game before we uh, completely destroyed his Arsenal career. Mm. But yeah, I do yeah, think he doesn't take away from the point. Yeah, I think you're right, Tim. One job, keep it simple. You do that, we'll work around you. If you give him two or three jobs, I think he can struggle on what his primary role is and that's when we lose him. Yeah, I, I think when you're at home to a weaker team and you know you're going to have 60, 65% possession and you have an elite center forward who likes to run into space and be off the ball dominant, then I think you need that those creative players, those forwards that are tasked with finding him in that space to be more ball dominant and more technically adept and Welbeck can't do that. And so then I think you have one less opportunity to, to find the space and maybe the runs they make cancel each other out. And I, I just don't think that that looked anything like uh, a partnership that worked. What did work was Lacazette and Paul. I, I do want to get to the positives this match, and I think Lacazette is a huge positive. Now, I went completely apoplectic watching Aubameyang get shifted out to the wing, and I hope that that is not the plan going forward, that if we're going to play these two together, it'll be Aubameyang out wide, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Here's a player who's not a great dribbler, not a great passer, but makes great runs and finishes well and is blindingly fast, and in Lacazette, you have a better all-arounder who can play the football and and help find those dagger balls into to Aubameyang, but also connect in the buildup. But regardless of my my ability to find the... Uh, cloud in every silver lining. Let's talk about Lacazette. I thought he did really, really well coming on. It's a really encouraging sign for the Europa League. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I thought he had a very good game. Um, I, I think he's probably going to struggle, though, still on Thursday from a fitness standpoint uh, and to impress himself on the game. Um, and he did come on with some pretty good companies because he had, you know, Obama Yang as his winger, Mkhitaryan on the other side, and Ozil uh, against a Stoke that was beginning to think it might not be their day. So it, it may have flattered him a little bit, but I like the overall plan. I certainly thought he had a very good game. Um, he's a moody-looking fellow, isn't he? Uh, but but it's just the beard. Obama Yang, he's just he's just so like. Happy and uh, and it's hard full to look moody when you have a name carved into your head. I think when you have a brooding beard, <laughs> it's a little bit easier. Yeah, um, yeah, because his granny died. Um, but that thanks, somersault Paul. he does, he he, <laughs> may, he, he makes that uh, that somersault look so easy. I had to go at it. It's much harder than you think. I don't believe you. Um, not yeah. that it's not so harder. Anyway, had to go here's at the it. Yeah. point I did want. Yeah, yeah, I do actually have a football point, which was why did, uh, it's a question to you, Elliot. But but I'll try and do it Elliot style. I'll actually talk for ages asking you the question, making my point. Perfect. Um, which is, isn't Aubameyang like, you like the idea of what Welbeck could do. You like what Walcott could do for us. Isn't Aubameyang, when played on the left, now control yourself, Elliot, um, basically the intersection of their best abilities and... Is there not a good rationale? Not, not that I'm wedded to it always being Lacazette who would be in the middle and, and Aubameyang on the left. But as soon as... I'll tell you who played really well when Lacazette came on. Aubameyang. He had our first two, you know, nailed on, should have should have done better there, should have beat the keeper uh, opportunities. Two very quickly. 
and it worked. And Ozil was out there pinging balls. And, and while I agree with you, he's not the hog the ball, play on the ball. I think you have undersold collectively. You should all be ashamed of this. Undersold his technical abilities. Uh, and there's also this, uh, I know there's this accepted wisdom that he was not great at bar at uh, uh, Dortmund on the left for the first season and then uh, Lewandowski went off and he moved to the middle. Um, I still think he was pretty good. Um, now, I know you believe in always playing the best players in their best positions and all that kind of stuff. To a logical um, end, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a, a player who plays as a wide forward, as Theo used to, uh, with his kind of pace, with Lacazette dropping a little deeper, uh, picking up the ball and pulling centre-backs with him, he's going to get that diagonal run into space. And it's a lot harder to get that space when you're the centre-forward. In fact, even in the first half, he was kind of squirreling over to the right to try and get some angled runs in behind. Uh, It was probably... Uh, a, a little too late in the, in the first half for it to be a, a uh, frequently used tactic. But um, I think it's going to be interesting to see them find their balance between the two of them. Sure. Unfortunately, we only get to see it in Premier League games, but Arsene might try and do it a lot because he needs, he, he needs you know, Aubameyang has to play in the Premier League and Lacazette needs the games so that he's sharp when uh, playing... Europa League, and there's no point in playing Lacazette into position. He's never going to play in the Europa League. So I think you'll get to enjoy seeing the configuration quite a lot more. And, you know, when you add in Mkhitaryan and Ozil, um, that's a lot of very clever players who can create angles and who know how to find Obama Yang's diagonals. So I think we might enjoy it a lot. Sure. And, and let me say a few things about this. First of all, I think Obama Yang is a good wide player. The problem isn't that he's not a good wide player. The problem is that he is one of the three or four best pure center forwards in all of Europe that we paid 60 million pounds for. And so I would rather benefit from having one of the best center forwards in world football than a good wide player. I also think that while he did make that run from a wide position that Ozil found him in, and I think that's great, realistically, you don't have that much space to run into. I mean, you're talking 80th minute of a game, you're leading 1-0, and the other team's starting to push up, and they're also tired, and they're also terrible. The reality is that the wide player, more often than not, is going to have to drop a little deeper, get the ball to feet, try to beat a man, try to make a pass. Those are not his best qualities. So I agree, if we thought there was going to be lots of channel space and half space to run into behind defenders, then fine, play him out wide, because that's what we want him doing. But by and large, your wide players do have to get on the ball, they do have to dribble, they do have to pass, they do have to drop a little deeper. And there were a lot of situations in the last 20 minutes where... We were counterattacking or bringing the ball up the pitch, and Aubameyang actually had to try to make up the ground. He wasn't leading that counterattack. And in one instance, I think it was Bellerin who was uh, racing up the pitch on the right, and you know Aubameyang had like 30 yards he had to make up to try to get into the, into the play. So, you know, it's not that I don't think he can be good on the wing. Of course he can. He's an exceptional player. I think you're He's taking, probably our best wide man now. Well, so, yeah, that, and that is absolutely true. And that's sort of the problem is do you want to take – one of the best strikers in world football at 60 million pounds and convert him to a wide player because you don't have one? Or do you want to find a configuration that gets him back into his best position? That's just... And I think before and after the summer is different questions, right? Yes, if yes, yes. You getting yes. really upset about it next year, that probably makes loads of sense. Getting upset uh, about I it think... now does not. You're right. That's well, absolutely I fair. think you're concerned that, that it's 
Wenger's thinking, and so you're going to end up seeing it next season too. Yes. But right now, it's all about the Europa League, while keeping the Premier League from kind of making sure you don't have too many negative vibes or issues with personnel from the Premier League. So I will acknowledge it is probably an overreaction to worry about how we use these two together for the remainder of this season. What is most important, if Arson sticks around, is what he's doing next season. So, Clive. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about Lacazette because I, I saw you on Twitter at least saying that you were pretty impressed with how yeah. he was doing. I mean, what do you see? Uh, this is a player that you were a little worried about earlier in the season, whether he had what it takes. I think you were impressed with him against Stoke. What did you see? Yeah, I was impressed. The game that turned it for me was uh, Man United, actually. Man United at home, I thought he was tremendous against a really physical team. And he out-physicaled them and was very unlucky not to end up a hero. But you could see the potential in him that day. And, you know, to to work out the conundrum of uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette, I thought Lacazette's intelligence is great. His timing is great. His movements are very smart. And he's and he's a good footballer. I, I always said this from the very first time I saw him, I thought he's more a ten than a nine. He's more a nine and a half. He's more a Firmino type player. He's somebody that gives you th- that structure. It's interesting, France don't play him and Giroud together. They play one or the other. They see him as that central brain to their team. And so you have to get you know, to use a Bamyang, you almost have to use him as a as a free forward. So you just go where you like, find space, sit on shoulders. Lacazette will be our structure. He'll be the primary player in our pattern of play. Aubameyang's major weakness, I don't know if you've noticed, when he has to come short, he gets beaten on those races and people come around him. He doesn't set his feet. He doesn't get fouls from behind. He's easy to blow past. You can tear through him and go and get the ball. Whereas you can't tear through Lacazette. He sets his feet. He has a wide stance. He gets low. He has a touch-touch move. He keeps you off balance. He turns around. He combines. Lacazette is all is is very smart footballer that can play slightly deeper. And then Aubameyang's all about how can I win races around me? How can I catch people as Ozil's got the ball? I'll make my run two, three yards. I'm on the move. I win the race. He's very smart mover. He runs laterally across the line. I think they are a perfect pair. I really do. And, and we've got to decide how you want to get them in. Lacazette is reminding us all what we've missed. And I hope he can continue it. And um, it was interesting what Steve Bold said, that maybe the injury has really helped him because it probably allowed him to do some extra, you know, power work in the gym, you know, some extra upper body work. And I'm just, you know, Stoke are not little flowers, right? And he looked physically comfortable, didn't he, in the game. So um, I'm really hopeful, really hopeful. Well, that's good because, I mean, obviously, you know, forgetting what happens next season or in the Premier League this season, our Europa League campaign depends heavily on him being used the right way and and having the confidence in the form and the quality to take us all the way to to winning the competition. And I think because we bought Aubameyang, it's easy to forget how much we spent on Lacazette and how excited we were for his arrival. And I'm not sure he's done much wrong this season. He's been kind of bad away, but the whole team has been pretty terrible on its travels. And so, Tim, you know, I don't want to make this the Lacazette podcast, but I think it'd be unfair to shut you out of this conversation because it's so important. I mean... Have we kind of forgotten that this is a quality player that we spent a lot of money on just because we made another quality purchase in the same area? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think we'd, you know, I mean, Lacazette started very, very well. Um, I I happen to think that actually he played some of his best football at the start with Welbeck um, in one of the two kind of positions behind him. I think those two had quite a good blend because they kind of played like a strike partnership. And I, I tend to think that's what both of them needs. 
Um, I, I think, to his credit, Lacazette could be a 10 or a 9. Uh, you know, in, in your kind of old-fashioned strike partnership, you have you have a kind of, I suppose if you look at it like Emil Heskey and Michael Owen, um, you know, you have one guy lives to serve and the other one is there to score kind of thing. You have the, or Alan Smith and Ian Wright back in the day where Alan Smith, uh, and perhaps Alan Smith is a good comparison actually for Lacazette because Alan Smith moved from being Arsenal's kind of prominent goal threat and then we signed Ian Wright and what he became was basically um, the foil for Ian Wright and I I think the strength of Lacazette is that he can he can either be a 10 or a 9 he can be um, you know he can be servant or master um, and 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 I think that kind of showed in the the fairly short cameo he had um, I, I think that was aided and abetted by the fact that yes we had someone as forward-thinking and as penetrative on the left as Aubameyang. Ozil had really worked out where the space was by then um, as well, where we'd had nothing on the right all afternoon, as we never do, because we leave Bellerin completely on his own. I think Lacazette had worked out, right, I'm going to go and drift towards the right, because on the left, we've already got Ozil and Aubameyang, and they're taking care of business out there. What I need to do is perhaps drift slightly to the right, um, and I, th- I think he did that very well. He was he was very very intelligent about how he went about that. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not convinced. For example, we'd have got much more out of him than say Aubameyang if we just completely swapped them over from the start. Um, like I, I don't think Lacazette necessarily will have done a lot more than Aubameyang did in that very impoverished first half. So he kind of came into quite a good situation when he came on, but. He did make a real difference, and I agree with Clive. I, I, I think on paper, and I think we saw a bit of it yesterday, there's, there's a real partnership um, potentially between him and Aubameyang. Um, and, and, you know, another player we've not really seen him with yet is Mkhitaryan, because um, he's not really had that much of a chance to play with him. Um, so, you know, there, there might be a potential partnership there. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but... Uh, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's been a bit weird, actually, because Lacazette started so well that that kind of took the immediate pressure and criticism away. And then over Christmas, he starts to struggle. And um, I, I think the injury did actually come at a really, really good time for him because before yesterday, his last contribution was a last-minute miss, um, in a, you know, a big miss in a North London derby in the last minute. And there was perhaps a little bit of, you know, some concerns turned into proper disgruntlement and then he immediately goes away for six weeks and um, we've got a Bamiang and you know Welbeck scored twice against AC Milan so he's not really there we don't massively miss him but it just gives everyone a chance to take a breath um, and you know before he came on yesterday the reception was when his name was read out on the bench there was big big cheer and when he came on there was a massive cheer um, and, I, and I think also the significance of Aubameyang giving him that penalty. Um, Where do you stand yeah, on that, by do, the way? Good, I, I, good I think it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I think, you know, Aubameyang was intelligent enough to see that he needed that. Um, and, that you know, for our prospects this season, Lacazette being confident is is a huge part of it. Um, and, you know, you can, you can see it meant something to Lacazette when he put that away. You know, he... He, even even though it was three 0 in pretty much the last minute, you know he properly celebrated it, and and I think I think really because he performed well um, in that last few minutes as well, that you know maybe if it had just performed well, but you know the other guy gets two goals, 
um, and so no one really thinks and talks about you. But when, when you know when you're a striker and you cap it off with a goal, it just it just means a lot more. Um, I think, and particularly going into Thursday, that could be a huge thing. But yeah, I, I was I was very enthused, and um, and you know, usually you talk about injuries being being really unfortunate, but I, I think this is one of those rare occasions where it's actually worked out pretty well for Lacazette. Yeah, I mean, it maybe would have been nice if he got fit just a little sooner because I, I do question whether he'll start on Thursday, and I think we'd be much better if he does. So mm-hmm. that's really yeah, the key really question. It's really a shame he didn't break his leg, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's too bad. Um, so, well, Paul, let's do this real quick. We'll finish out the game this way. I mean, I, I thought the first penalty was probably maybe not a penalty. I think the second penalty was almost certainly a penalty either way. Ha, ha, fuck you, Stoke. We don't really care. I don't think this podcast has ever d- gone in too deep on the was it or was it not a penalty discussion, so I don't think we necessarily need to do that. Um, but I, I think we should just mention Jack Wilshire briefly. So the, the changes made a huge difference in this game, and El Nenny came off. And Welbeck came off and Wilshire came off. And I thought all three of those players struggled. But Wilshire, who had shown some promise earlier in the season, has struggled again. And the manager seems very determined to stick with him. But the rubber's starting to meet the road now because he's got Lacazette back. He can play Lacazette with Welbeck and then play Ramsey, Shaka, Ozil, and you know, leave Jack out of the lineup. I don't know if he'll be inclined to do that. Certainly, Awobi seems to have fallen out of favor, but he's another one he could replace him with. Do you think it's reached the point where the manager probably can't rely on Jack to be starting the big Europa League games? Uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I, I I didn't think Jack was that bad in, in this game. I thought it was he was uh, probably one of our better first-half players. Um, he had some really great, terrible though. giveaways, but they all did. I mean, we did that thing they for a while did. where none of oh us God. could pass to a teammate. Yeah, yeah it was it was abysmal. Um, but beyond that, uh, I do think he's kind of flatlined recently. He, he was his trajectory was pretty good. I was kind of fairly optimistic, but he just kind of, I think, physically and in terms of overall performances, he's kind of hit a level that makes him a very interesting squad player, and doesn't make him a starting 11 player so he may find especially with the contract stuff going on or not going on i think i could see him getting squeezed out from a europa league standpoint uh barring injuries because then you look at uh well i guess we don't have the Yang piece but we have ozil mkhitaryan lacazette uh, well back ramsey shaka there you go yeah uh so if everybody's fit then but he's pr- he's probably first sub unless the situation to um or, or kind of first replacement unless the situation demands more of an awobi or a Welbeck. you know the yeah. manager w- still yeah. seems to like Welbeck as an option so yeah he's going to have to fight even for that first sub place because he's he's just not at a level that makes it clear he should be starting yeah i think the position he's been put in hasn't been the best for him and certainly there's um the burst does not seem to be there right now, which I think is a little concerning. He's not being able to burst away from players. And you do just wonder why he's not playing a little further back, um, where I think he'd be a little more comfortable, especially when Shaq is not playing, because I think he could ape that role a little bit. But that's not how the managers wanted to use him, and I I don't think it's to his credit. So if we we say there was a reason why Chaka didn't start uh, yesterday, who would have your – and you were going to use Jack, who would your midfield pairing be? Well, I, I am of the opinion that you can put Ramsey further forward, that 
he, first of all, he's the engine to come back and help out when he needs to, but that it's his second man runs and his little play around the box that really it distinguishes him from some of the other midfielders in the world, that he can play just yeah. that bit closer, that five, ten yards closer to goal. So I think you could have put Jack and Elneny together yeah. um, and let Jack sort of do that deep distribution thing and occasionally step out of a challenge here or there. Like, you know, Shaka doesn't have the feet to step out of the challenge, but I think Jack can play those passes. And, and maybe it means fewer sprints and recovery runs. Yeah. But no, I agree I with know? that. I actually would much prefer to see Jack given more runs as the that second pivot position. And um, uh, I mean, what I do like between him and him and Ramsey is they actually like each other and like playing with each other. And there is a, a reasonable amount of swapping during the game. Um, and they do tend to find each other. But I think it would have worked better if it was Jack a little deeper and Ramsey a little further forward, especially in this game, given that they weren't really pressing our our uh, midfield players and, yeah. and Jack could have picked some passes and Ramsey could have made some runs to get in behind. And Ramsey was a little restrained, I thought, in this game as a result yeah. of, of where he was starting. Um, but, well, Clive, so I, look, I know Jack is is a big favorite of you, yours, and you do want no, him to... No, really. Well, all right. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I, I think I think it could be said that you... you One more player Clive has it in for. Do you do I'll like I'll any I'll of our players, so. for God's sakes? No. All right. Well, so what do you, what do you make of where, where he's headed? Not really, no. <laughs> no <laughs> it sure Jack, seems that way. Jack, um, yeah, Jack flatlined the moment we moved him further forward, right? So he's playing 10, and we spoke about this before. He's having to make bigger sprints, and he's flagging. And um, what him and Ramsey do, they rotate a little bit. So Ramsey pushes and Jack fills in. Uh, look, where he is in his career, he's a very intelligent centre midfield footballer that can take the ball and he can move it quickly off one touch. The moment he does that, we look faster. And that's the trick. Moving the ball quickly because your body position is right and you've got a picture and why we look we look so slow yesterday i know el nelly is getting a bit of stick but he tries to punch it he follows the pass he tries to get the speed in we just spent too much time playing in the wrong areas right so well jack does it naturally he's got a, a real aggressive intent and i like how he tries to play i i do like it i like his bravery but i'm afraid the the body isn't there to be a top, top player that's going to take us to win the league. He's good enough to play for Arsenal. He's a premiership footballer. No problem at all. But I'm looking at, I'm looking at the teams that are in our competitive landscape and I'm saying, okay, if you were playing up against Dembele three times in a season, how many times would you win that battle? Right? So if you're playing against De Bruyne and Silva, how would you do against those two three times in a season? Are we going to beat them away from home? And I'm looking at our players, and I'm asking myself that question. Because for us to find the 25 points that we need to be competitive, 25 points. That's a lot of points. We need, to be, <laughs> we need to be winning some of those battles. We need to be, and the moment I said that, none of you guys were jumping down my throat, right? And uh, because you know, there's a question to be asked about that. And uh, and I do like Jack. I like him a lot. I like. I even like Aaron Ramsey. I like Herzl. I ask myself that even question. Like Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, I ask myself the question. No, seriously, I, I, I'm not the person that answers this question the most. Is actually Aaron Ramsey, because he has been to Chelsea and sorted Kante out. He has been to some of these grounds and sorted their best midfielder out. And and, and I, I question some of the others. 
You know, so we have to ask ourselves that question. How are we going to find 25 points? We have to dominate that central area. We have to have a pattern of play, and that has to be aided and abetted by wide aggressive runners to allow us to to, um, to close the gap and make teams run backwards. And Jack is somebody, I like how he tries to play, but he's, I'm just sorry, mate, I don't see the promised land coming. I really don't. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean I want him sold. Doesn't mean I want him to go back to Bournemouth. I, I'd love him to stay because he's very important to the club. But I'm talking about 25 points. When you judge this team, judge it on 25 points. Not what you like, not who you like. Where the 25 points coming from? I mean, Calciopoli by the refs. I mean, pay off the opponents. It. I, all I'm saying is I've seen it work before. <laughs> you know, I, and nothing else we've tried has worked. Of course, that would require Stan to spend some of his hard-earned cash. So maybe, maybe we'll have to go another direction. Tim, it's uh, it's the end of the friendlies. The friendlies have come to an end. The real match starts on Thursday. It's Seska Moscow at the Emirates. It's a quarterfinal in Europe. And I think we may have been handed a, a lucky break getting the first leg at home. Because I think... Our Europa League opponents have looked nervous. They've looked overawed. They've started games tentatively. And I believe that there's a chance that if we have the right application and energy and uh, if we are combative, if we confront them and, and really press them and, and have some good energy to start with, I think we can end this tie, this leg, early. But obviously with Arsenal, you never know what attitude and approach they're going to take coming out. Are they going to be nervous? Are they going to be... Uh, sort of lackadaisical or or are you going to have the right approach we've we had the right approach against milan in milan but i think csk having to come to the emirates i think it's a big opportunity i mean are you as encouraged about the possibility of this match and how do you think he'll line up for it um i i don't really know enough about seska um to be quite honest to to kind of have a feel for how they might approach it and whether they might be nervous you know they knocked Leon out in the last round so um, they're a serious team um, we know that much and we have to be really on our guard and and that means the home leg as well I mean I, everyone knows that you know we don't have this particularly great record in Russia but um, you know we need to take care of the home the home game as well uh, so I, I you know because I know so little about them um, I don't really have a feel for um, how likely any of that is in terms of how he'll set up I I think that he started with Welbeck wide left because that's what he wants to do on Thursday um, and I think he probably wanted he wants to start Lacazette up front I don't know if anything that happened on Thursday or you know if Welbeck did get a knock whether that changes anything um, so I, I maybe not so I, I think at the risk of trying to second guess uh, Arsene any further I think he'll go Welbeck wide left uh, Mkhitaryan on the right uh, well, uh, Lacazette up front and then kind of have Ozil in his in his usual number 10 spot um, that might mean no place for Jack Wilshere um, and also you know Wilshere played this game and you know I, I know he's played quite a lot of football um, since Christmas but it, it, it would it you know he was willing to rest players basically for for the Stoke game and you know he was resting the likes of Koscielny I mean really if you're looking after players Wilshere is one of the ones you'd think he was going to look after if he was going to start but then he you know he seems to start Jack more often than not at the moment so um, don't really know there but yeah I, I mean I think you know you'll see Koscielny come back in um, 
you know, Monreal left back, Xhaka, I think, will come in for El Nenny um, now. And yeah, yeah, so I, I think we'll see Welbeck wide left and Lacazette start up front. That would be brilliant. Um, any any score prediction for this one? Yeesh. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. I, I, I just don't know enough about the opposition. Um, I, I'll say a narrow Arsenal win, maybe 1-0, 2-1, something like that. I, I, don't, I don't get the sense that we're going to you know, put this out of sight. I, I don't think. I don't think many teams put European quarterfinals out of sight. Um, you know, once you get to this stage, you tend to be playing serious teams. Um, okay. Well, I will. I will save the suspense of my prediction for last. But Paul, are you bullish? Are you nervous? What do you think? Yeah, I'm bullish. Uh, I mean, you know, within our range of bullishness at the moment. Um, uh, uh, we've come a cropper in Europe in all sorts of different ways over the years, and not always against Bayern and Barca recently. Um, you know, the Monaco game. Uh, so anything can happen. Uh, what, do you, what do you I, think I we'll think, do in goal? Uh, unfortunately, I think we'll play Ospina. So no, sh- no shenanigans sh- this week? You, don't, you think that was just truly Czech was injured? No shenanigans there? Um, I would have thought Jack would be on the bench, but I don't know. Uh, I guess I guess that doesn't go with the spiel. Yeah, okay. I see the shenanigans line. Um, I don't think he'll do it. I wish he would. Um, because uh, cause man, so much rides on it, and uh, nothing like a good dose of ruthlessness to get the message through to everybody. We're really going for this. So, don't know. But, All right. Yeah, no, uh, I think... That was a kind of hard-hitting, incisive, and, uh, dis- <laughs> and uh, yeah, comprehensive uh, analysis uh, Elliot, I was looking for. Elliot, go fuck yourself. <laughs> that, that's the most decisive thing he said in that segment, so I appreciate you adding Oh, it. yeah, how about this? <laughs> yes. No, okay, right, uh, Clive, can you, can you give us some kind, of, some kind of stamp on this one? Yeah, I think... Um, According to the club, Czech is not fit, but I think I don't know if I dreamt that, but I'm sure I heard that. So uh, it looks like Ospina will play. I wish Czech was fit, because um, it would show that every, show everybody that Arsenal are not they, they actually don't care about their values. The ones actually care about winning the competition. So um, I hope that Czech gets his moment in competition when he is fit. Um, I agree with Tim on the, on the team selection. That is our strongest eleven for this competition. Um, so let's play it. And then let's not mess about. Jack played with a knee bandage yesterday. Looked like he was 75% fit. Did okay in a game where we had 70% possession. So there's no issues there. Um, so, yeah, for me, if Welbeck's in shape, hopefully he plays. And he can be that wrecking ball. And we can have that running threat to at least threaten them and create spaces and targets for uh, Ozil and Mkhitaryan to hit. If we have that. I think we'll be fine. Two clear goals would be nice because in Russia, I think it's going to be tough. I, mean, I it's, think um, it's funny because Leon actually beat them one nil in Russia and then managed to lose three two at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I was listening to Adrian Clark on the Arsenal podcast, and he was sort of saying that they're much better away than they are at home. But I think if we are really, if we really do them at um, Arsenal on Thursday, 
I think away from home will be quite threatening and uh, we do look after the ball quite well and in some ways this team for all its slowness and lack of directness and and passing in non-hurtful areas is sort of a European football style that we have and I think it, it does it does look good in Europe so um, I'm pretty positive yeah I, I mean uh, do you have a score prediction uh, or you just nil, want to tell, nil, tell me to go fuck myself like Paul? No, no, 2-0, two 2-0 nil, two nil, two nil would be nice. But I'll be happy with 1-0, as long as it's nil. See, I'm I'm feeling there, two zero. Yeah, I yeah. got to tell you, I, I think Danny Welbeck is much suited, much better suited to play with Lacazette than he is with Aubameyang because I do think that Lacazette yeah. can come deeper, receive the ball, he can play some football, he can put Danny in behind. Danny's running can help clear spaces at the edge of the box for Lacazette, whereas his running just plugs up the space or congests the space that Aubameyang wants to run into. So I think this could really work. I hope the manager it, will it, give Lacazette at the start. Yep. Yeah. I'll just going to say, Danny's running is good, but let's play him the ball. Let's not shy away from forward passes, right? We do that a lot. So if we got you, him on the You pitch, like seeing the just, ball wind up in Rosette? <laughs> well, just, you know what? Sometimes you just got to turn people around. Yeah. You turn them around and then you create the space on the next run. When you turn people around, they drop off. And what did Stoke do in the first half? They pressed us back, right? And all you had to do was just turn them around and then they lose a bit of confidence and they step back, they step back. So use Welbeck to turn them around to create the space for our ball players and then they will be fine. Yeah, I, I buy into that. Look, I, I think there's a big, big opportunity uh, at, that's open for us here. I, I think that Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Lacazette, that's a lot of quality. Ramsey... <laughs> I don't know that Seska can live with that, and I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe make this a 4-1 or a 4-0. I genuinely think that's on the cards. I, 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 nobody would say that I'm a Pollyanna. I'm not renowned for being an optimist. I just see little signs of life, and I think that the quality that we're seeing with Mkhitaryan and Ozil and the, the chemistry they're building together, the way Lacazette played at the weekend, um, you know, keeping Chaka fresh, but I, I thought that he looked really influential when he came on again. And I, I realize it's Stoke; it's the 19th place team in the Premier League. But look, Seska are the third place team in Russia. They are a team that did get past Lyon, admittedly, but lost at home and conceded twice on their travels. It just so happens that they won that game three two. And I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I also, you know, I I think they're there to be had, and they have Akinfeyev in goal, who I think is a little bit of a cartoon uh, cartoon goalkeeper himself. So we could have we could have quite the um, goalkeeping display out there between Ospina and Akinfeyev. But I am feeling pretty optimistic, which sets me up for huge uh, humiliation and despair on Thursday, which is kind of how football works. But I wouldn't be surprised if we if we end the tie on Thursday, and by end the tie, I mean win four nil, and then of course lose five nil uh, in Russia. But in any event, that's that's how, usually how it works. Unless anything, anybody has anything else, we'll save it for then. Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Uh, yes, I, I feel it was. And then Paul is on Twitter at uh, Go Fuck Yourself, uh, but also pausing in my pants. Thanks, Paz. Yeah, go fuck yourself, Elliot. Same to you, buddy. And then, Clive, I mean, did you want to share this news before we said goodbye, the big the big managerial news that's hitting, hitting the news wires as we record? No, just reading about Allegri, he must have done a press conference pre-Champions League saying that um, when Juventus is um, done, he's going to be leaving the country, which is no doubt going to link him to Arsenal in every single newspaper tomorrow. So um, whether Clive, he's done this summer or next such summer. such a transfer media whore. <laughs> I'm sorry. To be I fair, just, like, I, he said it himself. Allegri did say... I'm definitely managing abroad when I'm done at Juventus. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think he even broke into English when he said it. Yeah. So, um, oh, well, Because we so, speak yeah. English. 
Yeah, like exactly. everybody at Arsenal. So, two plus two. It's a it's a it's a done deal. Right? All right, so, good um, enough. Let's get uh, forward to it. Clive is actually on Twitter. At Clive PF thanks. thanks, Clive. Thanks a lot. Yeah, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review and write nasty things about uh, any mini Paul. And then uh, hopefully Scott will be back after the Europa League on Thursday. At which point we will break down the historic victory. In any event. Uh, I hope everybody's up for it. I certainly hope everybody shows up to the stadium because it would be shocking and disgraceful if they did not. So we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Seska Neal.